0: Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. Inhaled too much before saying the first sentence. Still don't know how to do this. Episode 102. Still struggling. My name is Iwak and I'm the host of every Frinkadinkling episode of this podcast. I'm trying not to swear, so I use the word frinkin' a lot. Oh man, you know what other phrase I'm trying to get going again? Elliot used to always say this. Excuse me, haven't even had sparkling water yet. Already burped. My buddy Elliot would say, Are you Fluffy Kitten me? Oh my God. How nice is that? So wholesome. So wholesome. Are you Fluffy Kitten me? Um, This is about to be the most bogus episode ever. But because there are all these things I can't announce yet that are really weighing on my brain that I would love to unpack, but I can't. It's too soon. So we're just going to go with it. I thought first maybe I would. I had a little bit of a celebrity encounter, and I thought I'd just unpack it a little bit because I think um, there's always so much interesting stuff to say about celebrity because it's so loaded and in like the cosmic space of the gravitational pull of a big body of a celebrity, like the Jupiter-sized body of a celebrity. Celebrity, there's so much gravitational pull on all of us small bodies, and you can like feel it in the room and stuff. And it's just so interesting to think about like how people act and how they—I don't know—the dichotomy of yeah. I mean, I don't know. I talked a lot about that part on on um, when uh, who was that? Jason Momoa. When Jason Momoa came in, I talked about how everyone pretends to not give a shit about celebrities. But everyone gives a shit about celebrities. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah, that was on the Doug episode that we talked about that. Anyway, so last week to my work email, I get this message that we're going to be open. The Downstairs Cocktail Lounge is going to be open on a Sunday. Usually it's only open on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, because it's open uh, 8 p.m. till late, like midnight or something. And it says we're going to be open on a Sunday. And the subject line is just... Mac DeMarco, I almost said Mark just there, Mark Rebronco, Rebronco, and I don't know what a Mark, Mark Rebronco is, you know, I don't know what a Mac DeMarco is, but, but I'm here, and it's like Sunday nights, I'm the closing manager, and I'm like, okay, means I need to be the last person out, we're going to be there later, usually I get to go home at 10 p.m., whatever, all good, all good, let's just do this. So I get this email. I don't know who Mac DeMarco is. I Google him. Fine. But then there's this like, there's something deeply alienating. And this is something I've experienced a lot since I moved to California. Because celebrity is like more of a thing in California. Even though we're in the mountains, you know, we're like behind the backdrop. Like California has these tiers of... Every single settlement on the water on the coast is awesome, and every single city and town inland is total bullshit, and everyone hates them. All the Sacramento's and the Bakersfield and the Stockton's and Chico and every single thing, it's just like a hot steaming pile of, of fricken garbage, uh, and then we're like even behind that, so celebrities don't really meander all the way up here, but they do though. But even if we're just all the way back here, people really, like five years in Seattle and celebrity is not something people give a shit about. But people like came to California because they pretended not to care, but they care. And I think it goes for me too. I think just like everyone else in California, I secretly want to be a celebrity. Secretly. <laughs> secretly. Secretly, he says into the microphone. <laughs> I'm so stupid. (laughs) Am I the most stupid person I've ever met? Probably. But so, first of all, there's something alienating about um, people being excited about a celebrity and you don't know who they are, who the celebrity is. Because there's something alienating to it because it means that they are living in a different world than you. It's a little bit like all the other things I find alienating, like conspiracy theories, like People believe other stuff than me, like deeply important foundational understanding of the world. They believe other stuff than me, which means that we are on an abstract level. We're living on different islands and like, I cannot reach across the water and touch them. And when we have different celebrities, because our celebrities are our gods or whatever, I don't know. They are just the thing that we put a lot of value on, on the top of the mountain in our world. If... If there's someone that puts a lot of value to this icon, and I don't know, I've never even heard of this person, there's something alienating to that. And then there's like this extra alienating layer to it when I'm just like new in California. And I don't even know, sometimes people throw around these names, and I don't even know where like the beginning, I don't even know if it's two names, like people are always like Bella Fleck. You know, oh, people love Bella Fleck. And I'm like, what's a Bella Fleck? Like, is it one word? Is it a man or a woman? Is it a band name? And I Googled it many times before what I was, how I'm trying to type it, before Google figured out what I was trying to do. And I guess it's two names. And the first name is Bella, but it's a man. It's like they don't make it easy for me. It's like an ancient man named Bella, Michael DeFranti. Cristiano di De Cristiano. Francion Yonion, Byonion. It's like these things that people say that I then try to type into the computer and, and the computer does not understand what I am trying to understand here that's also a bad alienating feeling when, I don't know, Julie was talking about that. Julie sent me a message and was like, "You should you should invest in my friend's company because they're about to have a stock. And she doesn't know anything about anything like that. So she didn't even know how to say it. And then I was asking her about it. And she's like, yeah, I didn't understand it. He explained it to me. But if you don't understand anything, there's no way to ask a follow-up question. And when she said that, I thought about it a lot because is that true? I think that's not true. I think it's a skill to everyone starts from zero with everything. I think it's a an important skill to listen to something and understand absolutely nothing and still be able to reach in and just pick out a couple of syllables and be like, but what about defrancular like what is that can we start can you explain that and then they're like i didn't say defrancular i said and then it's like you know you you broke up the words you broke up the syllables in the wrong place because you really didn't understand anything but so i think (laughs) maybe if you don't that's not funny i think maybe if you don't understand anything it's impossible to ask followed questions but um but it's it's and then the alienation with celebrities you don't know about. It's it's one thing when it's someone you're talking to a person and you clearly can just see from the outside that this person you're talking to is just different than you. They probably listen to different music. They have it. They dress different. They talk different. Everything about their culture and subculture is just different from you. So if they have a celebrity that you don't know who they are, it's probably a Twitch streamer. It's probably like like Kavika. Kavika at Holbrook, one of the bartenders. First of all, Kavika used to look kind of wild and homeless. And then he, sha- uh, he shaved his head. And everyone's like, Kavika is handsome all of a sudden. And I just want to go up to him and grab him and be like, who is this handsome guy? And what did you do to Kavika? But Kavika, uh he's always wearing merch, like t-shirts and stuff for like VR twitch streamers like it there's so many layers to it you know like it's a person playing a video game you're watching someone play a video game but the person you're watching is a 3d animated model that's motion motion capturing a person. And then he has this one, like he says, it's the biggest one or the most famous one or whatever. And it's like this weird person with a weird person, that's rude of me. It's a person with an autoimmune problem so that they are completely sequestered away in a bubble because they cannot interact with the world at all because they have no um, immune system. So it's this person in a hermetically sealed sterile lab bubble with a really good internet connection, playing um, video games all day, filming themselves, but not showing the world what they look like. Instead, doing a motion caption 3D overlay so that I am watching like a weird japanese animated schoolgirl th- character that's motion captured by this audio-immune person and the 3D animated schoolgirl Character has her hands on a keyboard and is playing a video game, and on a different part of the screen I'm, screen, I'm watching like the inside of the video game. Like there's all these levels to it. And so when I'm talking to Kavika, and he's telling me about these weird niche um, internet celebrities. That's less alienating because I just get that that's like that's not an island I can reach out and touch. But it's less alienating because when someone weird is talking about a weird celebrity you can feel like you're at least i'm on the mainland and this person knows that they're on an island but it's different when someone is your bro and they seem normal and they are now i'm being all hey kavika is a normal guy i'm not trying to be rude to kavika kavika is a good guy and he's a normal guy and he's kind of my bro actually and I'm excited to talk to him tomorrow about how maybe he's been playing Cult of the Lamb, this new video game where you you play as this lamb and in the opening cutscene of the game, that lamb gets slaughtered and then you show up in the afterlife and this demon tells you like, yeah, you're dead, but I'm going to send you back to the world and and you're you're going to start a cult in my name. And then you start a cult and you have cult followers and you have to take care of everything and manage all the resources and make them all worship you. And it's like kind of fun, but it's cartoony. And I'm going to talk to Kvika about that tomorrow because he's my bro and also the thing we connect about is video games. So some what i was going to say is noah is like this cool cat who's on the who's part of the big main culture in the world and i aspire to be part of that main cool cat culture also so when man when noah comes at me and it's like oh bro on sunday smack the is going to be here and i have to be like what's a what's a what's a what's a rack rebronco What's a Mark? Where's Mark Rebroncaro? What is that? And he's like, Salad Days, and I don't even know what he's saying. But I've Googled it, and Salad Days is an album by Mac DeMarco. Anyway, so Noah was making me feel really alienated by um, Bella Fleck. Fucking Bella Fleck. Michael DeFronti, big celebrity around here. These are the things that made me feel otherized and bad. Because it's it's also like a painful failure because so much of my life was devoted to and I don't I don't like to admit this so much of my like life was devoted to trying to understand American culture and just assimilate. So then when when they throw all these celebrity names at me and I don't know it, it's like Ugh, I failed. Um, but so anyway, Sunday rolls around and and um. And members of his team show up and they talk to us. And they're very nice. And some parts of this story is going to kind of go a little bit bonkers. So so I want to get out ahead of that and say that these people, they didn't trick us in any way. They were nice. And they just asked us like, because they knew that we we close at midnight and do like a last call at midnight. And they come and they ask these two nice little girls that are like little girls. These tour managers, excuse me. Um, tour manager. I don't know what the role is, but but they asked us if we could be open later, and they were like, "We we the show finishes at ten forty five p.m. We um, have to pack up afterwards. The crowd will come up, show up after that, but um, we have to the the staff." the artists and the staff and everything, they have to pack up all the stuff and then they'll finish at midnight. And then after midnight, they want to like show up and just have one drink and order that drink at like 1230 or one or something. Haven't even had a water yet, already burped. I would like to apologize. Um, And so I'm like, yeah, I'll I'll see what I can do, you know? Like, can we be open after midnight? And I check in with Doug and Doug and me check in with Will, the guy who's going to be the bartender. And Doug is like, I'm going home. Like, Doug is going home. So it's up to me and Will, really, if we want to be up late. And then it turns out that Will is a big Mac DeMarco fan. So he's... This is part of the story is the problem of him being a fan. So, so problematic. But um, so we get roped into... I don't know. I don't want to really unpack the part of how things got really dicey and not so good. But we decided to be open late. But so... Um, yeah, I think that the interesting thing that happened, the first interesting thing that happened is like, I'm there, it's late, there's no one else there. I'm just waiting for a long time. And then my front desk person shows up and the front desk person kind of goes goes away and sort of just disappeared on me. So I had to do the front desk. So I'm just chilling there and I'm on the computer and I'm Googling Mac DeMarco and Googling a photo. And then kind of clicking around on Wikipedia and trying to learn about it. And, and Wikipedia has this on, for bands, it has this interesting graphic, uh, depiction of members, band members. Like if you go to the Grateful Dead Wikipedia page, this is very, very wide, very, um, big, a big graphic showing what band members the band has had at what times. So some members are like, have been the members for decades so their line is from like inception to present day and then it's like the drummer has changed like 40 times so all these other people have short lines and so I'm looking at it and I'm looking at the present day and like who's a member now and I'm going in and under the members now and stuff so I know who's who's coming in cuz they are all they're all checking into the hotel and then like he sh- showed up at midnight and he did this nice thing where he There's this awkward thing there with celebrity where he's checking into a hotel, so I have to ask him for ID, but it's also ridiculous to ask, you know, to ask Barack Obama for his ID. You know what I mean? And he knows that it's ridiculous. And it's very hard for me to explain this, but he walks up and he just gives me his ID. ID without me asking for it. And that's like a very, that's the first really nice thing he did because I'm out here, like not exactly sure how I'm going to play this. Cause it I don't know. There's something about ID that's like actually very awkward for some reason. Like when you have a table of four people and three of them, like three daughters and a mom and the daughters are like in their twenties and the mom is 45 years old And they all ask for alcohol and you have to ask for IDs. And then you get to the mom and it's like, there's something very awkward about saying, you don't have to show me your ID. I don't know why. Why is that so awkward? Man, there's like a weird silence in this room. It's like 1.25 a.m. right now. All my appliances are off. My fridge is off. My AC is off. All my all the walls are muffled yeah why is it awkward to say to someone i don't know but so this this fella did this like humble is not the right word but it's just polite polite and not obvious is words i would use for it where he gave me his idea and i didn't have to ask for it And then I get to just do my thing and we can joke around a little bit and I'm explaining the things and he's being all nice and their deal is a little bit different because the billing goes a little bit through some company or something. But but I had a very nice first impression of him. And then there's this annoying thing of how, because staff members who work there are fans and they know that he's going to be there, it's like, They just, like, finish their shift and then just hang around. I'm looking at you, Tristan. (laughs) Tristan. Tristan, who secretly has listened to every single episode of my podcast because because it's rambling. That's what she told me. She can't listen to people that talk in a structured way. She can Mm only listen because it's rambling. And, hey, look, man. Tristan, you're my bro, and we're gonna it's all gonna be fine. We're about to announce some big stuff. things are gonna change, Tristan, you and me we're still gonna be bros um so they all go downstairs and it's been decided they all go downstairs to the cocktail lounge. The band shows up, different members of the band i I checked them all in. I've been on all their Wikipedia articles um They all go downstairs to the bar after just putting their luggage in the room. Whatever. I go down there. Tristan touched his sweater. (laughs) I asked him if his sweater was moist. And he said, no, it was dry. And that's good. And then the the first funny thing that happened is, so there's this big guy. I mean, there's this guy. He's like the bass player. I don't know, man. I can't really, like, describe all the – he was a – we weren't really the right venue for what they like we're a historic hotel with paper thin walls and it's like a visually beautiful hotel and and it has these certain things like the the plumbing is very old and and the it's very you can hear noises through everything so when when you have a band of youngsters partying on tour, touring musicians who are getting wasted and partying, we were not a great venue for that and it caused some problems and that's okay. And we learned from that and it's not their fault and it's not my fault. It's just we're learning, you know, we're learning. But so they're downstairs and they're they're getting a couple of drinks and, and, and then the funny, one funny thing that happened is that this big, big old bass player guy comes up to me and he's like, he's kind of drunk and he leans in real close and he 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 puts an arm around my neck and pulls me in real close and puts his head against my head and like puts his mouth all the way up against my ear and he mumbles can you get me some coke and I'm like uh no I'm sorry I can't get like I didn't want to. I'm a people pleaser, bro. I'm a people pleaser. We're we're not a restaurant. We're a yes restaurant. We say yes, whatever they ask for, we say yes. You know, whatever they want, like even if it's something you've never gotten someone before, they ask for it. The guest really be dynamic, come up with a new solution, figure out a way to. Get, I am sorry. I can't. I can't. I can't get you Coke. I'm sorry. And then he's like, "Can you get me Sprite?" And for a moment, I'm like. What? What do you mean Sprite? And then it's this thing of where my first interpretation is that he has asked me for Coke. My second interpretation uh, cocaine. My second interpretation is that he still asked me for cocaine, but now since I said no, he doesn't want to be some guy who's just going from person to person saying, "Hey, can you get me cocaine? Can you get me cocaine?" Because you get in trouble if you do that. So if someone says, "I can't get you cocaine," you have to pretend like, "Oh, I wasn't asking for cocaine. I was asking for soda. I was asking for Coca Cola." So if you can't get me Coca Cola, can you get me Sprite? So I'm like, "Oh, he's trying to like. He thinks I'm a narc." And he's trying to not get in trouble and just play it off and pretend like he didn't mean to sound like he was – he he is pretending like he didn't just ask me for cocaine by now asking me for a glass of Sprite. And I'm like, Sprite, yep, I can get you Sprite. So that's my second interpretation. And then the funny thing, though, is that – get. <laughs> Interacting with these dudes over the next 48 hours, I realized that that bass player is obsessed with soda. And he drinks a lot of Sprite and a lot of Coca-Cola. And he never asks me for cocaine. He wanted Coca-Cola. <laughs> it's just such a funny misunderstanding because there's a way to ask someone for Coca-Cola. It's like, excuse me, sir, could I have a glass of Coca-Cola? And then there's a way to ask for cocaine, and the way you ask for cocaine is you're wasted, you lean in real close, you're touring, you're not from there, but you kind of walk up to someone who's from there, so you, like, get in real close, and you're like, hey, bro, like, I'm kind of a big shot, like... You really lean in real close, and you kind of like put your sweaty fucking face up against the side of some local, and you whisper into their ear like, "Hey, can you get me some weed and maybe like some poppers?" And you know, can you can you get me some can you get me some Molly? You know, you're you're a touring musician, and you you rap you you, you pull a local real close, and you're wasting and you lean on him, and you lean down real heavy on their shoulder and you put your head up against their ear and you whisper into the ear like, "Can can you get me some Molly? Which reminds me of maybe the first celebrity encounter I ever had, which was that I was living in Shanghai. I think maybe I've never said this on the podcast before. That isn't possible. I have to have said this on the podcast before. I was living in Shanghai. I was in a play. One of the other actors in the play, Doug, His Instagram handle, I follow him to this day, even though it's like 15 years ago. His Instagram handle is Drop Dead Doug, because he's super handsome. He was an actor in the play with me. He was also a DJ, so he was in a studio, so he spent some... He was just hanging out in a studio, kind of interning in a studio, trying shit out in a studio, and then Kanye West is touring, and somehow Kanye West wanted to record something, so Kanye West... Ends up in a studio where my buddy Doug is just there. Handsome Doug is in the studio. Kanye West shows up in the studio. Doug texts me and says, Hey, can you get some weed? Because Kanye West's producer, and Kanye himself probably, re- they need weed to work. Now I sleep in, so I miss the whole thing. That's the truth. I always tell people that I I sold weed to Kanye West once, but that's a fucking lie and the podcast like in real life I exaggerate and lie but on the podcast I tell the truth the truth is that I was sleeping so he got weed from someone else but I'm the first guy he thought of which is not good that is not a good thing you never want to be the guy that people think of when they say hey can you get some weed you don't want to be that guy and I was that guy for, for a part of my life and I I Not that I was selling weed in Shanghai. I was just like, I don't know. I guess I just looked disheveled. Yeah. Anyway, so the bass player guy never asked me for cocaine. He wanted Coca-Cola. He just had a very cocaine way of asking for Coca-Cola. And I think that as a server who has served people many, many, many drinks many beverages in many glasses i just think that was one of the funniest ways to ask me for a beverage uh, out of 10,000 beverages served you know and that's that's something for me you know that's something that maybe only i think is funny but anyway and then this then there was some debaucherous stuff with that bass player guy cuz he wasn't he wasn't asking me for cocaine but he was a drinking man and there was some debaucherous stuff, and I had to had to go there was a noise complaint, and I had to go over there and and that's something that I don't hold against him, and he's a good guy and and my impression of these boys were they were wonderful people, honestly, and we probably need to communicate as a hotel we need to communicate a little bit more openly and clearly about the limitations of our historic property. It's a beautiful 150-year-old building, 170-year-old building that has certain limitations and it's not great for touring, musician, after-party, debauchery stuff. God, I wish this was a Patreon-only episode and I could tell you about the ladies that he had in the room, but it's all good. Anyway, um yeah <laughs> it's so funny to me that that some people are drink a lot of soda it's so funny like this guy then i had to drink a lot of gin and stuff and then in between gins he was like can i have another sprite he just loved to drink sprite but so um the other thing was just that then the next day it's a Monday. It's me and Corey. We're hanging out. There's quite a, There were no reservations. We sent all the staff home, and it was just me and Corey. And then we had a ton of walk-ins. So me and Corey are kind of busy. And then the nice tour-managing women from the day before show back up, and they're like, we're back. Can we have dinner? There's 10 of us. And so we get them a big table, and, and um, I wonder why I was the server. I wonder why Corey is like, that's all you. What is that about? Because <sighs> Corey likes to make money. I like to make money. Corey's not afraid of anything. It's not fear. I wonder why he's so. I don't know. That's about to change. I'm about to make Corey make money. Um, he he was like, "It's all you." So I I was their server, and then um, I got them a lot of fun different drinks mac the himself drank a sparkling water with bitters that's what he asked me for now here's the crazy part i was kind of anxious because i had a bunch of tables and i didn't want to fuck up this table of 12 people with these with the whole band there and there's this pressure f- for celebrity there and, and i don't want to fuck it up and i'm anxious so never does it enter my mind that i need to be like hey bro You like sparkling, like, hey, hey, I can, oh, why didn't I say anything about sparkling water? It's like my number one conversation piece. Why didn't I go there? But I didn't. I forgot. Oh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, huh? So um didn't badger Mark Mark the Mark the Bronco about how I have a podcast. <laughs> Opportunity missed. Person not harassed. Forgot to harass him. Forgot to say some really embarrassing totally unimportant stuff that he would his eyes would glaze over. Now that's the thing, man. He was so patient and nice with people. I don't know if it's because maybe he was more famous eight years ago and when you become sensitive to how you're not peaking anymore, you're more grateful to being a celebrity. But he was just so patient with people and so nice. And I was looking at the situation at some points and me like, should I do something here? Like, should I get these people away from him? Because fucking Noah and Noah's sister and all these kids, like Noah brought all these kids to the property to harass him. And then when he just walked through the parking lot, these 20 kids jump him and all want pictures with him and all want signatures and they're all talking with him and they're all touching on him and just pushing on him. And he was so patient with all of them and he took fun photos with all of them. And I'm looking at it like, these people work it. Like, Noah, It's not you're supposed to be part of the solution, bro. You can't badger the guests you are not allowed to make the guests uncomfortable. But it's also case by case, and it's like maybe, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, and Noah just took the shot. And then Soleil, I'm looking at you at the front desk. Soleil that I've had to talk about a lot the last few episodes because I keep saying mean things about her and I keep having to apologize because I truly care about her emotional well-being. Uh, she walked up to Mac DeMarco and said a bunch of weird shit and he looked at her and he smiled and he was just patient and he just brought everything back to center and he said normal things like, what's your name? You know? Some fan is all weird and just jumping into something as if you already know each other super intimately and, and it's super jarring and like alienating and you just feel like so ooky and awkward and, and the key is to just keep moving forward and just say something normal and bring it back. Just comp- just come up with a compromise with something that's, you know, ask her what her name is. And he asked Soleil what her name was. And, and she's like, Mac DeMarco is my best friend's absolute favorite artist in the whole world. That's what she told me, which is beautiful. Wonderful. But anyway, yeah, he was super patient. So, so if I had talked about sparkling water, he would have been, he probably would have been all, um, what's the word? Compassionate, generous with his time. He probably would have smiled and nodded and been all nice about it. Uh, but anyway, he, they were fucking pleasant. Oh, I dropped an F-bomb. They were super pleasant and you can think about... You can have... Like, some people were like, yeah, he's a hipster. Oh, I'm, all of his fans are hipsters. Like, oh, I'm sure Holbrook were full of hipsters when everyone thought he was there. And, and you can be like, oh, he's a douchebag, and I didn't like this thing he said in this documentary, and I didn't like him. Sounded like maybe he's shitty towards women. Or No. First of all, I have no idea. Secondly, there are certain things... You can have – I want to scratch the thing about shitty towards women from the record because I have no idea. But, but um, you can have these subjective opinions on people where you think they're not very cool. But there are things that are just objectively good guy traits and he exhibited multiple good guy traits. And one of them is the, the thing that there's 12 of them. They sit down. They order a ton of appetizers. And when they're talking through the appetizers, whatever people say like, hey, should we get two of this? He's like, let's get three. And they ordered a ton of shit, and he just was very generous with how he wanted everyone to have this big experience, and they ordered a ton of appetizers, and then everyone got a main, and they racked up a big bill, and then at the end of it, he just, I walk into the room with a check, and he... um, Multiple people reached for a card as if it's not the most settled thing, like how we're doing it when we're on tour. But he was just like, no, 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 bring it here. And he gave me just his own card. No bullshit LLC, no like the label is paying, no like blah, blah, blah. He didn't have to do that. It's just like his card with his name on it. And he just put a put this very big check on his own card and he treated all of those people, friends and professional relations and all of what it is, he treated all of those people to a good... And it's like, you can say what you will about people, but but those things are... And it's making me think about my buddy, Matt, and how much I miss my brother, Matt. And there's been so many ups and downs, and people can have different opinions about stuff, but there are there are truly objectively generous traits, good person traits, and... Bringing people together to sit down and have a meal and then paying for it all, even though people, and though some people are super grateful and say thank you and blah, 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 and some people are assholes and they're super ungrateful or whatever it is, not asking for anything afterwards, just treating people to good experiences and good food is just a good guy trait. It really makes me think of there's this, um, Joan Didion wrote in um the White Album, I believe, she, there's this part about uh, the doors. She follow, She's following the doors around for a bit and writing a piece about them. And she writes about celebrity and she writes this thing of how celebrities in restaurants and how celebrities, they make reservations and sometimes they don't show up and they like move in these... Oh man, I want, I really want to find it. Hold on. Okay. So I found it and I'm going to read this whole thing because I think it's such great writing and I think it speaks to this. (laughs) Fuck. It's always shitty when I read stuff on the podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, someone once brought Janice Joplin to a party at the house on Franklin Avenue. She had just done a concert and she wanted a brandy and Benedictine and a water tumbler. Music people never wanted ordinary drinks. They wanted sake or champagne cocktails or tequila neat. Spending time with music people was confusing and required a more fluid and ultimately a more passive approach than I ever acquired. In the first place, time was never of the essence. We would have... Dinner at 9, unless we have had it at 11.30, or we could order in later. We would go down to USC to see the Living Theater if the limo came at the very moment when no one had just made a drink or a cigarette or an, or an arrangement to meet Ultraviolet at the Montecito. In any case, David Hockney was coming by. In any case, Ultraviolet was not at the Montecito. In any case, we would go to US, USC and see the Living Theater tonight, and we would see the Living Theater... Oh, we would not go, and we would see them another night, in New York or in Prague. First, we wanted sushi for 20, steamed clams, vegetable vindaloo, and many rum drinks with gardenias for our hair. First, though... No, wait. First, we wanted a table for twelve, fourteen at the most, although there might be 6 more, or 8 more, or 11 more... There would never be one or two more, because music people did not travel in groups of one or two. John and Michelle Phillips, on their way to the hospital for the birth of their daughter, China, had the limo detour into Hollywood in order to pick up a friend, Anne Marshall. This incident, which I often embroider in in my mind to include an imaginary second detour to the luau for the Gardenias, exactly describes the music business to me. There's something very uh, beautiful to me about all of that. There's something about how the passiveness is important, and it's actually something that they speak to in the book 4,000 Weeks that I have been talking about for multiple episodes now. The anti-time management, time management book about how you need to give up and just be in the moment. Make a close to-do list of realistic things that you can do and then just be in the moment for the process of doing those things and then just realize that life is finite and then just realize that there's all these things you cannot do. doesn't matter what kind of time management you do. And then also another important thing there is how how... It's not, it's life isn't all about being efficient and managing your time perfectly because it's very lonely to manage your time perfectly. There's actually something incredibly beautiful and fulfilling in not managing your time and just existing on other people's time and to just be along for someone else's ride because then you can be together. And there's this passiveness because human beings, we want to live in these tribes. And the point of all of this I think is that the music people they get to do these things because they can do anything. And if humans can do anything they do they do if like it is a better life to move in packs of 6 and 8 and 12 and to ask for a table of 10 and be like we we need a table for 10, 14 at the most, although there might be 6 more or 8 more or 11 more. Like that is, those are better people. They live a better life because they are not alone. It's never one or two more. It's just a better life. And you just have this flow where you make a detour and you do a plan and the plan works if no one has just made a drink or if no one is having a cigarette or if everyone just happens to not have just made a drink. Now we can go have the food or we can order in later. But there's this like, her herself, like Joan Didion herself describes Not being able to acquire the passive approach necessary to be in the life of those people. But I think that there's something very admirable in adopting that path. Like it's easy to shit on those people and be like, Oh, they're groupies or they're just hangers around. But it's like there is something beautiful there in just being along for someone's big ride. And it's like they're successful. So there's money so we can do these big interesting things and we can go have good nice meals and it's always a table for 10 you know and you know (laughs) music people they never want they never want ordinary drinks they want sake and this is the 60s you know like (laughs) imagine being in hanging out hanging out in the 60s and being like At a house party, mean like, do you have sake? Like, like what are the odds at a house party in the 60s that the host has sake or champagne cocktails or tequila neat? Spending time with music people was confusing and it required a more fluid and ultimately a more passive approach than I ever acquired. We would have dinner at 9 unless we had it at 11.30 or we could just order in later. It's like this... Yeah, the fluidity of not nailing it down. There's something, there's something so beautiful about it. And being a server and sometimes, um, yeah, sometimes serving groups of 12, it's actually very sad because I live a very lonely life now and I never have, it's never dinner for 12 anymore. I mean, yeah, that's the thing, man. That's the whole thing, huh? That's why I moved to California. I moved to California to hang out with Matt because it was table for 12 because I just wanted, you know, I beat myself up about it because I'm like, oh, I moved for someone else to hang out with someone else. And then like, what? I don't have my own thing going. I'm 35 years old and I still don't have any direction. And I just move somewhere because I have some friends there. Because I have nothing going on for myself. But honestly, really, I respect that choice for myself. Because it is the way life is supposed to be lived. You know? Just this openness. Ultraviolet. Ultraviolet is such a funny type of celebrity to throw into the story. Because I think ultraviolet, without having Googled it, I think it's some person with ultraviolet colored hair who was like friends with, what's that pop uh, Andy Warhol? Like, I think it's just some guy who was... Honestly, originally a hanger. I think Andy Warhol just set up this workshop where he made art, and then he just set up a workshop where people were just invited in to hang out, and then some of those people made their own art, and the the hanger around was upgraded to make their own thing. And that's the that's the successful process, you know, when you can when you can make it collaborative, and the people who are just along for the ride also get to express themselves. There's so much there there's so much there in how we should live the four thousand weeks book it's it's had so much about that about how it doesn't matter what your deal is with your company about how many how much pTO you have how many weeks of pay time off you have because what you really need for the good meaningful that human experience that you want to strive for is that you live in a community where everyone in the community has time off at the same time and everyone has a good deal so that you can, when you are away from the office, feel like you're not missing anything because there's no one in the office because everyone in the office is out. Everyone in the office is on vacation so you can truly relax because there are no, there is no full inbox anywhere waiting for you. I mean, there probably is. And it's like you have to attack the problem from multiple angles. And you have to also just like give up on this idea that before we do the really important stuff, we have to clear the decks and do the unimportant stuff. Janice Joplin wanted a brandy and Benedictine. It's like, what is that in a water tumbler? Specifying, man, specifying the glassware. And then all of this stuff that I'm saying is like, People are always asking me, why did I move to Shanghai? Like, I lived 10 years in China, and people are always... The, the natural follow-up question when they find out is like, why did you move to China? And then I I like to say, oh, I like to... Depending on the situation, I have different answers. Like, it was a a fun, dynamic place where you could make money quite easily and just live a very free, interesting life for a young person. And there were good professional opportunities. And it was just like an interesting world. And then if it's a more grungy scenario, I might answer something like, I just wanted to party and get wasted. But neither answer is true. Because the true answer, and I'm never put my finger on this before but the true answer is that I went to Shanghai when I was 18 years old and I just had a phone number to a guy and I call I land I call the guy he meets me first night he takes me to a party I meet all these guys and then the next morning I wake up and the guy is like hey some guy from yesterday called and left a message for you because this is like almost pre-cell phone um It's like 2008, you know, like it's not pre cell phone, but it's like I didn't have a smartphone with like international roaming where I'm like in China and now I have a functioning cell phone like no, there was a landline, someone knew someone knew someone and the guys I just partied with randomly on some beach. Called the landline of the place where they had heard that it's like a penthouse on the twenty-fifth floor with like six bedrooms, and they know I'm renting a closet. It's not even a fucking bedroom. It's the it's the room intended for the for the live-in maid. They put a mattress in there. I slept there for a month. I was there. I'm sleeping there. I get this message, so I show up. I I I call them back. I'm 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 introverted. I'm terrified. I'm afraid. And I'm afraid of telephones more than anything, but I do it. It took me all afternoon to work up the courage to call, but I called it back. And it was Clayton and Clayton who I'm not friends with anymore, but he is, I'm more grateful to him than almost anyone because he brought me in and he brought me to this group and he's like, come to dinner. And we had dinner and it was a group of people where we had dinner. It was, it was table for 12 we went to de marcos we went to all the italian places in shanghai and they served half terrible food but it was cheap and it was we had each other and there were 12 of us and some of them were terrible people <laughs> some of the people and some of the people of the 12 were terrible people and they did things to the waitresses where they they tried to scare the waitresses and made them cry and it was awful <clears throat> but at least we weren't alone you know and the truth about why did i when I came home from Shanghai, after a month in Shanghai, and I told everyone, I'm going to move to China. The truth is, it was the table of 12 thing. Because we moved, we, we weren't celebrities, and it wasn't that anyone knew who we were, but we could emulate the celebrity life just because everything was cheap. Taxis for a dollar, you could take a taxi anywhere for a dollar and have dinner, and it's going to be fucking 50 bucks for for a table of 12 for 12 people to have dinner so working just a little bit we could just live that life where you work you work three days and then for the rest of it you just have enough money to just go around and we would do stuff like i have these i cherish these experiences like i remember how it was always real complicated to have a visa because all of our visas were fake and Issued on fake grounds, and we had to bribe people for them, and you had to fucking photoshop a, a fucking um bachelor degree because they changed the rules all the time, and to get a visa and a work visa, you need a bachelor degree, and we're all just eighteen year olds who drink all day, so we don't have what we what was that sound? oh there's a dog barking in the yard that's kind of terrifying oh it's actually. A dog and a cat. Hold on, I have to look at this. (laughs) Okay, so it's uh, 2.01 a.m. It's in the middle of the night. I'm in North San Juan. It's um, dark out. It's rural, weird foothills, California, and they're... there was just like two cats and two dogs that just fucked each other up and now I there's just some animal whimpering out there. Like some animal, some wild animal just whimpered and walked away. And some animal just got really fucked up and I, I <clears throat> but I'm just going to keep going with what I was saying. What I was saying is that a weird thing, a weird experience that I really cherish is that it was always hard to get visas. So we spent a lot of time, a lot of time was spent taking the subway to Pudong, which is on the other side of the river. It's like an hour to get there and going to the exit and entry bureau and submitting the papers. Sometimes you have to do it every month. And I did it a lot. And I remember sometimes waking up, walking down the street around the corner to Matt's house and Justin was staying with him. Justin who later passed away And I would just see what they were doing. And I would be like, hey, I'm going to go to Pudong. Do you want to come? And Justin would just come and hang out with me. And I would do errands for my life. And it would take like six hours. It would take all day. And he'd just hang out with me. And it was just like this colorful, interested way of living life where we get on the subway and you just look around and you're in Shanghai. So it's interesting. So you look around and you talk about the people around you and they look weird and there's stuff going on and we're just talking about it. And and you stand in line and you're looking around and it's like, you're doing all these boring things like commuting and standing in line and filling out paperwork. But, and he's not even doing it for himself. I am doing it for me. He is just there to hang out. He's just being on someone else's time. Like, The beauty of being on someone else's time, because it's generous, and it's, it's like true, yeah. He would just hang out with me all day, and we would have this interested, colorful way of, I don't know. I talk about it frequently, how there was this one meditation practice one meditation guided meditation session one time where where sam harris was talking about the feeling you have imagine that you're on vacation and you have nothing going on for the next few days and you wake up rested in the morning and you just you go downstairs from the little apartment that you're staying in for a week and you step out on the street and you have nothing on the docket nothing to do and you just look around that feeling of freedom And just being allowed to roam free and unsupervised play, exploration, whatever you want to call it, that feeling of just like, let's see, like, for some reason, when I say that, when he said that, when I say it, and when I imagine it, I imagine something like Portugal, like I've never been to Portugal, but I just imagine that like, um, Portugal probably has a pretty narrow sidewalk and cobblestone streets. And you walk out on this cobblestone street and you just kind of look around And there's like flowers hanging out of some of the windows and it's like four-story buildings and narrow, windy streets. And you just kind of look around and it's like – and the thing about that feeling is that you can live – that feeling is always in your – that feeling always exists somewhere in your mind and it is accessible. And you can make that feeling come up. And you can live your entire life, whatever it is that you're doing, even if you have the same office job 40 years straight, you can have that feeling. You can walk out of your house with that feeling and just be like, let's let's see what's going on. And you can go to work with that attitude of just like, I'm just interested and I'm just here in the moment and I am present for what is here. And there's something about the existing on someone else's time, which is, it's so antithetical to people who, like the opposite is to live a boring life and hate your life and, and talk to your friend and be like, Hey, we should go to insert interesting place. You know, we should go to the Maldives or like, we should go to the, a Polynesian island for a week. And you like plan it out and you go together and both of you see it as this important thing to you individually, and you're not existing on each other's time. And it's, it's like the, the lack of just existing for someone else and existing on someone else's time is why people get so stressed out on trips. Because you have this expectation of how it needs to, it needs to perform something. It needs to live up to some expectation and it needs to be something and become something. And that pressure is ruining our lives, for sure. And there's something in the life of the musician and there's something in the life of us when we were young in Shanghai and just all had this We just allowed ourselves to exist on, e- to, to not, we allowed ourselves to be passive so that we could have dinner 12 of us every night. Cause it was every night, man. It was, it was table for 12 every night. And it was always different people at the table and anyone is invited. And, and Clayton was better at it than anyone. And he would never sit down at the table. It would be a big dining room and it's table for 12 and we're sitting down and we're all talking and we're all hanging out and we have each other and Clayton would stand up and grab his martini glass and just go from table to table in the restaurant and just talk to strangers and just socialize. And he just had this very open, beautiful way of living life that had no rules. There were no rules. He lived life without rules, and rules are for suckers, bro. I don't know. There's something... Actually, there's something there where maybe he was the musician, you know? Like, the thing I'm talking about, the good life, it's almost like you need these different balances, and you you almost need different roles, and it's not set who is what role. Maybe we can be float in and out of becoming the different roles but someone needs to be a little bit more of a leader and a little bit of more of a hub and someone needs to allow themselves to exist on someone else's time and um yeah i don't know mac demarco when he's on tour he he, um (laughs) he successfully did that he successfully did that successfully has this openness where there's a group and they trickle in and it's a big group god i love that fucking john did john didion (laughs) i love that joan didion page it's just one page i just find it so beautiful First, we wanted sushi for 20, steamed clams, vegetable vindaloo, and many rum drinks with gardenias for our hair. First, we wanted a table for 12, 14 at the most, although there might be six more or eight more or 11 more. There, were, there would never be one or two more, because music people did not travel in groups of one or two. I find that so beautiful. Because all of us are suffering because people come in and it's like table for three, maybe four, you know? When people come in and it's table for two, maybe three, it's like what I, what it, what that really is is suffering. Let's review a water. Actually, we're gonna, it's episode 102 and we're gonna do something that I've never done before. Because I have reviewed 350 sparkling waters, I'm getting a little bit jaded and I'm getting, it's becoming a little bit harder for me to just enjoy drinking sparkling water. And because of that, I need to, I have bought a water that I just have. I reviewed it like 70 episodes ago. And I just know that I like it. So I put it in the fridge and it's cold. And I'm just going to enjoy this. And it's this week in sparkling water that we've already had. And that's going to be okay. Because I had a very, very difficult week. The anxiety that I experienced in the last 24 hours is some of... Like there were even thoughts of almost like, there were almost things where I was circling the drain and thoughts of relapsing. Relapse for me is like suicide, you know? Relapse for me is almost a metaphor for suicide where like I feel a way where I just cannot feel this way and I just need the out. And I know that the out is equivalent to death. But I'm almost thinking like, I almost can't even feel like this. And I feel so anxious that I cannot even live like this. And I'm actually panicking and I can't, maybe I can't even handle this. And maybe I need to actually get drunk. And it's been three and a half years since I had alcohol. Give or take a couple of difficult experiences, but it's been three and a half years since I quit drinking. I've been very sober for those three and a half years. And in the last 24 hours, I had some difficult moments of thinking about it weighing my options and being like maybe i need to get wasted because i can't feel like this anymore this is just unacceptable which is yeah i don't know so what we have here is spindrift pineapple sparkling water and real squeezed fruit spindrift it's just sparkling water and a little bit of squeezed fruit pineapple It smells strong of a fresh pineapple because it's spindrift and it's uncomplicated. And I kind of hate this brand, but it's good. I have to bring it back to center. I have to start being present in the moment again when I drink the sparkling waters because I have a way of not being present for it, you know? I could not live life and examine life at the same time, you know? That old fucking quote. I could not drink the water and podcast about it at the same time. But in this moment, I am present for the flavor of pineapple in my mouth, and it is strange and delicious. It's weird that there's this lexical gap in English. The word "fretande" in Swedish. Like, does that word not exist in in English? Hold on. Let me just... uh, I have so many silences I have to edit out of this episode. It's actually corrosive. Because I would say acidic, but acidic is different. Because acidic just means that something is sour. But then it's like the byproduct of something being very sour is that it feels like it's corroding whatever it's interacting with. And that's the thing with pineapple. It feels so sour that it feels corrosive in your mouth. And then you find out that factoid that I brought up in an episode about, you know, 60 episodes ago, there's Max Loring and me talked about this factoid of, there's actually a weird enzyme in pineapple juice in the fruit that's so aggressively corrosive that it's actually consumed. Like when you hold pineapple juice in your mouth, the enzymes in the juice actually start consuming your mu- the flesh of your mouth. So it's not just that you're consuming the pineapple. The pineapple is actually consuming you. Like, you start breaking down the pineapple juice and consuming it and enter to bloodstream, but the pineapple juice is also breaking down your flesh because it's so corrosive. It's like a, I don't know. I wish I had some, if this was the perfect podcast episode, there would now be some way to apply that as a metaphor to something that I've talked about in the last hour. I was thinking this was going to be a pretty short episode, but it's, we're one hour and eight minutes in, and all I've talked about is one celebrity encounter. Gosh darn, that's a delicious sparkling water. Yeah. So I'm back to center. I enjoy sparkling water again. We did a little palate cleanser, <laughs> a little palate corroder, because it was pineapple. Um, Mac DeMarco invited all of his friends, and they had an experience together, and that makes him a good guy, and he paid for it all. And he he was very generous during the ordering so that everyone could get just as much of everything as they wanted. And then he tipped me really well. And all of that is to say that if you didn't have an opinion on him, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. Oh, what else is there? I don't know. There were a couple of funny things that happened this week one of the nights when i got off work late at night i start the my car my tacoma that i've owned for a year and a half now or something i bought a brand new tacoma i've had it for a year and a half and for the first time i start it and there's just like a weird sound coming out of the engine or whatever and i immediately panic and last episode or the episode before or something i talked about how when i hurt my foot the metaphor of it hurts more than the pain of the foot because the fear of what it means. Does this mean I'm not going to make money? Does this mean my foot's going to hurt forever? All the different negative thoughts projected onto an infinite future are much bigger than the pain of the, the actual pain. And the actual pain is the only thing that really exists. All the other stuff is suffering we manufacture for ourselves and then when there's a weird sound coming out of my engine I realized that I'd start manufacturing suffering for myself in exactly the same way where it's like <clears throat> you can be like I would rather like have one of my belongings break than a body part break but really it's the same because whatever it is if it's an expensive thing if it has to do with money if it has to do with anything that I can negatively project onto the future infinitely, it's all suffering, even if it's just, so then I, um, I like open the hood of my truck for the first time, something I've never done for myself ever before. And then I, you know, look at it. And then (laughs) you get to that funny thing where you realize that, Hey, it'd be good if I looked at this once when it was not broken so I knew what it's supposed to look like so that now when I'm looking at it, when it's broken, I know what's not where it should be. (laughs) And I'm looking at it and I'm like, yeah, something in here is off and I don't know what. But the car runs and there's just a weird sound. So I text Soleil because I'd seen her five minutes before. And um, here's the thing. I come home. I text Javi when I come home because Javi is a mechanic now. And also he's just sort of like a man teaching me how to be a man, you know? He's sort of like an American dad for me, and I'm sort of like an American teenager because I spend my actual teenage years and my young adulthood just taking taxis in Asia, so I don't know anything about cars uh this is my first car. So I I take a picture. I I I listen for the sound and I listen for what part of the engine it's coming from. And I take a picture of the engine inside of the under the hood. And I'm like, the sound is coming from this. I take a picture in the middle of the night with flash photography, and I send him the photo. And the crazy thing is this. I took the picture, I looked at the picture, I didn't know what I was I understood stood it so poorly that I sent him the photo and then he had to say it to me so that I can look at the photo again and be like, oh, I see it now. Because you know what's in the photo? The photo is all an engine with like all these plastic covers on different engine parts and all the plastic covers are covered in dust. Just like dirt and dust. And in the dust, you can see dozens of tiny footprints rodent footprints because there's a mouse probably inside of my air conditioning unit somehow a mouse because what the sound is it's like a flapping it's like a flap hitting something it's like boop, 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 boop when I turn the AC up, and then when I turn it really up, it's like... When I turn it really down, it's like... So it's like a flap. It's like a fan flap hitting a dead mouse in there, probably. So one of these days, I'm going to have Javi get a screwdriver out, and he's probably going to save me, and I'm going to give him 100 bucks, and It's going to be a good time. But it's so funny to me that I'm such an idiot that I took the photo. And if I just like, it's really about being in the moment, just like everything else. If I just actually was present in my body in the moment and used my actual eyes in a present way where I just, I'm calm and I just look at the photo. It's fucking obvious that my entire engine is covered in footprints, but I just look at the photo in this like distracted way. I live a distracted, I was given a distracted mind. Yeah. I don't know. Here's another thing I was thinking about is like, um, I was listening to this one podcast where people were talking about some important shit. And then at the end of all the important shit, they started talking about this unimportant thing where this one guy was like, talking about a thought experiment of like, What if the world ends in 200 years? Like, what if you know that the world is ending in 200 years? What would that mean for you emotionally? Like, what if you just know that the earth is going to explode in 200 years? It doesn't mean anything for you now. It's very similar to the idea of like, if you're, if you hurt your foot, if you hurt your foot and it hurts a little bit, the suffering that you are experiencing in that moment is not the little bit of pain in your foot. It's all of the intrusive thoughts about how, is this going to go on forever? What does this mean projected onto infinity? It's all the stuff that's not just being present in the moment. And so these two guys, and these are like two meditation guys. These two guys are talking about the 200-year thought experiment and how they were saying how, if I find out that the world is going to end in 200 years that would mean that nothing matters. It would drain my world of meaning. That's what they said about it. And they sort of agreed on that, where they were like, what we do now matters because of the future. Like, that's what they must be saying then. And it's so interesting because I really sat with it and I really thought about it. And it's like, I think... I see everything as a prison. And I think if I found out that the world is going to, the earth is going to explode in 200 years and every single human will die so that we can live now, we can have all our stuff and we can do all of our stuff. But, and and for your entire lifetime, everything is going to be fine and you can have kids and for their entire lifetime, everything is going to be fine. But somewhere after that, like, maybe 40 years after the death of your kids. I don't know how the math works there. I mean, it depends on longevity signs, I guess. But, but the point being, like, it's not it doesn't affect anyone you know and no one you will ever meet. But it does affect the people that come after us, kind of just right after us. And I think if I found out that the world is ending, I would just feel freer because I just worry about it all. I worry about eternity. Eternity is... (sighs) The idea that I am here The idea that I'm here and I don't record a podcast is terrifying to me because it means that for all of eternity, I'll just be nothing. And the idea of me sitting here talking into a microphone recording a podcast is also terrifying to me because it means that for all eternity, people will make fun of me. And it just means that because eternity exists with people who are observers, Because social tension, the social tension and judgment and the gaze will exist forever. There's infinite pressure. And I just feel so bad about it all. I just feel so bad about it all. And I'm just so terrified of all my choices. And I have these choices. And I have to make make decisions about stuff in life and the last 24 hours. And... I've had to make these big decisions and and yeah and it's like I'm just so I'm just such a small person and every decision I'm just so scared. And it's so stupid because nothing bad is happening to me. I just have a few good things in front of me and I get to pick one and I have to pick a path. And my whole life, I've made the mistake of never picking anything because of the fucking date tree, you know, whatever, Susan Sontag, whatever, I'm butchering this, Madison is going to be pissed off at me because she wrote a haiku in high school about a fucking dance. She did a fucking dance, choreograph dance about Sylvia Plath and the fig tree metaphor because you can pick one fig tree and it means that all the other fig trees fall off the tree, but... If you don't pick a fig tree, then you get no fig. I mean, if you don't pick the fig, you don't get any fig. Anyway, you have to pick a path. The only mistake you can make, really, is not picking a path in life. And that was my mistake for a long time. And then now I have these, like, just a couple of good options in front of me. And then I have to pick one. And the fear of... the Like... Oh, God, the future. I keep saying the word infinity, but it's really just the future. Like, there's just something so heavy about the future, and it just ruins me. It just destroys me, and I can't live with it, and I don't know why. Anyway, let's review one more sparkling water. So, because this episode is completely screwed up, and we're not doing anything normal, and we're not reviewing regular sparkling waters... I'm, I bought, it's a sparkling beverage, and I mean, it's a drink, so it's water. But it's Coca-Cola Dream Flavored. Dream World, limited edition. That's what it says on this. It's a blue label. It says Dream Flavored. You know, I have a sparkling water podcast. I review sparkling drinks. I know I, I clearly don't review soda. It's something I've talked about probably a hundred times but i'm doing a different episode and i'm gonna review this and i'm gonna be like (laughs) what does it mean that it's dream flavored like they got me dude they got me because i don't know what that means so i had to buy it they got me they knew they were gonna get me when they did it and they did they got me people keep getting me oh my god okay so hey smells sugary it does smell, I was, my biggest fear opening this, I'm realizing now, is that it was just regular Coca-Cola and I fell for some trick. But no, it's not regular Coca-Cola. It smells different than regular Coca-Cola. It smells fruity. It smells like something that should be called, you know, fruit punch, tutti Fruity. The Swedish version of fruit punch is an Italian word named called tutti frutti. Dude, what is Tutti Frutti? Jesus. Actually, so that just tastes like something, but I can't put my finger on what it is. Is that cherry? God, that's annoying. Dude, you know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of how, oh my God. What is, like, what is the expression Tutti Frutti? It's a song by Little Richard. But like, we have phrases like this, like, where does it come from? Oh, it's a colorful confectionery. Uh it's a nineteen thirty eight novelty jazz song. But what is it really though? Like what is it originally from? History of Tutti Frutti. Like what is it? In, 19, in 1888, one of the first gum flavors to be sold in a vending machine created by the Adams New York Gum Company was Tutti Frutti. Many restaurants circa 1900 in the collection of the New York Public Library also listed this variety of ice cream. What is the origin of Tutti Frutti? Oh, it's Italian for all fruits Tutti Frutti. But it rhymes. And because it rhymes, in the 1880s, some corporation was like, this sounds good. We can use this to sell shit. And then 150 years later, some corporation landed on the word dream and said, this sounds good. We can use this to sell shit. And in 2022, Joe Kim was tricked into buying dream-flavored Coca-Cola, and if Joe Kim was alive in the 1880s, he'd probably buy Tutti Frutti-flavored chewing gum out of a vending machine because he's a sucker. He's a patsy. You can sell him anything if you just put a fun word on it. God, that's delicious. What is that flavor? Mmm god it's so good i love sugar i'm a sugar lizard just like the bass player in fucking oh my god i wish i could have the bass player in um mac demarco's band on my podcast and we could review some some soda we could review sprite (laughs) dude he drank so many sprites so hilarious. Like, what's funnier than a grown man just chugging soda? Like, have you not heard that it's bad for you, man? Jesus. Leaning in real close. Can I? Can you get me some Coke? I, I don't, I wonder if he was asking me for cocaine. I don't know. I don't think so. I think he was asking me for soda. I think that's where we landed. Uh oh, if the world was going to end in 200 years, I'd probably feel good. Nah, no, 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 I no, 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 I'm saying, I'm out here saying I feel terrible about everything. If I found that out, I would feel, excuse me, dream flavored burp right there. Um, if the world was ending in 200 years, I would definitely find a way to be devastated about it. It's an interesting thought experiment just because it's like, it's a little bit like finding out that the world is ending tomorrow. But if you find out that the world is ending tomorrow, you decide to spend all your money immediately and just have sex with everyone around you and just like live in the moment in this crazy way. But it's like if you find out that the world is ending in 200 years, it's a little bit like the thing of how you can bring up the feeling of your you're on vacation in Portugal, and and what if you just are present for the world and look around in an interested way, like that feeling can be brought up in the same way. You can bring up that I mean, it's why people say that thing of like live, you know, live today like it's your last day. It's like people say that because it brings up that feeling of like maybe be grateful. You know, ugh. Okay, last three seconds there, I really, really, really hated myself and hated everything I was saying. But hey, I didn't hate the shit before that. So, uh, so there you go. Okay, it's uh, 2. 34 a two thirty four a.m. So I think I have to um, have to wrap this up, guys. I, I I love you for listening to the podcast, and um, you know, this Coca Cola, it's a little bit like that thing that thing of how one sort of um advantage of a book of a written the written word story like fiction is that it is sort of a more active form of enjoying art because you read something and you have to imagine it yourself and that makes it more personal and it makes it so that your brain is filling in more and whereas a TV show, a movie, you watch it and everything's been filled in for you already. They've already decided what the guy looks like because you look at the screen and everything is already right there. You use zero imagination watching TV. There's something to this Coca-Cola here where it's like they kept coming out with new flavors to, to bring people in and to fucking up sales and stuff. Cherry, vanilla, and then like a thousand other ones I can't think of. Like there's Pepsi mango now like what is what are you talking about coca-cola has all these coffee drinks but anything you do like that pepsi mango or vanilla coke i have an idea of what vanilla tastes like and what coca-cola tastes like and i'm like yeah maybe i like it maybe i don't it doesn't leave a whole lot to my imagination but when you say this coca-cola is dream flavored what you're really doing is you're giving me an opportunity to fill in the blank with my own imagination and that's a very funny way to manipulate someone into buying something to let them fill in the blank much like how when you're reading a novel or whatever anyway now the episode is over thank you for listening